Welcome to Study Buddy, meditation philosophy for the heart of your practice. This is a live online discussion of ancient yogic texts amongst meditation practitioners in the Shambhavananda yoga tradition. My name is Acharya Satyam, a resident teacher at Konalani Yoga Ashram in Hawaii, and I welcome you with love and respect. You know, I got to be honest, it, the last time we met was oh, two weeks ago, and uh, it might feel like, what did we talk about and what was I supposed to prepare for today? And that's okay. We're going to recap a little bit our last sutra. Um, you're all practitioners. It'll inspire something in you. You're welcome to comment on, you know, to be with. We'll have a little bit of pre-writing to give you some time for that. And then we're going to jump into this next sutra, which has... I think it's a it's an incredible it's a sutra that feels like a lifelong goal, um, but it's an interesting kind of goal. It's it's a simple goal, but one that can take your whole life to achieve. So that, I'll leave you with that. Um, so before we jump into that, let's look back on memory lane with sutra three point four two. Buta Kanchki. Tada vimukto buya pati samapara. Give it a shot. Buta kanchaki tada vimukto buya pati samapara. For this yogi, the five elements are only coverings. At that very moment, they're absolutely liberated, supreme, and just like Shiva. So this yogi is not limited by their, in, the, in this, uh, sutra quite literally by their body okay when a yogi uh, attains their enlightenment um they re they still have a body they don't just dissolve into thin air um necessarily according to the sutra and the idea is that they are able to really observe their body um and uh, a part of us can can feel like oh well that sounds like it's rejecting the body like oh like when you're enlightened, you are just separate from your body and your body means nothing to you. Um, I got to be honest, I, I feel like that's a little bit dualistic. And I know that this tradition is capable of more than, than that. There's something more subtle. Um, it's never just like an accept or reject kind of scenario. So when, when it feels like, oh, are we saying the body's like separate, meaning like I don't need it? It's usually not the case. Um, and what we sort of explored, um, was this idea that when you separate from something, you actually observe it more clearly. You actually see more when you detach a little bit. That um, seeing, for example, is not about honing in and, and getting, you know, looking at all the details of a room, but it's actually about widening your perspective. And that's how you really see what's in front of you. So, for example, there was this idea of. Uh, I'm going to skip to the middle portion of this slide. If you look up at the night sky, studies tell us that you see 2,000 stars. Do you see 2,000 stars when you look at the night sky? I don't know if I've ever seen 2,000 stars, meaning I usually see the Big Dipper or what's that bright star or the moon, meaning I usually sort of like get sucked into one little aspect of the sky. And to really see 2,000 stars, which science tells us is, is totally possible, 
not you don't even have to be enlightened to, to see 2000 stars you just have to supposedly you can do it right now you gotta zoom out a little bit you gotta soften your gaze so for example the room that you're in can you soften and see the room that you're in and still see the screen hey Annapurna thanks for making it so zooming out seeing the room that you're in and seeing the screen and that is just a small example of what it means to detach from the body but not reject the body meaning in yoga for example we can move our body with awareness and we actually get a lot more from it than just saying i want to stretch my hamstring when we move our whole body we get a lot more out of our practice so take two minutes to free write from you know a little bit from your own perspective about just what this means to you what in what way do you recognize in your practice or in your life um, that detachment or surrender um, actually brings you closer to the to that which you seek to know so take two minutes for that right now We're about halfway. See if you can soften and see the room around you while you write. Just sort of finishing the thought you're on. Glancing back over your work and underlining what really jumps out to you. Oh, cool. And thanks for the breakdown, Shoni, AJ, Rita, Brianna, Anandama, and Devananda. Excellent. Thank you for that. So um, let's take a moment. Keywords in the chat box that should only take literally 20 seconds. Just go for it. Um, anybody want to yell out a keyword here? I'll type it in for you. 
beyond my pattern. Okay, let's read them. Expansive. Beyond patterns. Oceanic. Really listen. Connectedness. Zoom out and move in. Root cause. Beyond the mind. Feeling the space. Introspection. Able to breathe. Anything? Love of okay, Thanks for that share, Shoshone. Openness. Arriving with love rather than analyzing. Excellent. So if, if you haven't shared at this moment in the class, let's hear, let's hear from you. Someone um, elaborate a little bit on your key point and it'll get us started. Don't be shy. Step right up. Taraji. Hi, everyone. I thought of this sutra a lot this week um, because I'm teaching um, trauma, uh, well, yoga for trauma, and it's very different from the yoga we practice. It's one-on-one, -on -one and you have to be really connected to your body first and to be very attentive of what is happening with your student. And you can actually say, or do this, do that. You have to give options, but you have to be very present to experience your body and trying to help the other person to connect with their own body. But at the same time, it's just not my practice as a teacher, as a normal yoga class where I say, what are we going to do? And everyone is excited to do that. But here you have to really connect with that person and see, if that makes them uncomfortable or you have to give other options. So it really helped me to be very present and it felt very expansive. It felt like I could be in my own body and in the other person and see what, what we could change. And it's a class that has to be very creative and you can't really plan it because it depends on the other person. So it really, really helped me to surrender and just being there. And it felt like I was deeply connected to that person. Mm -hmm. And like our body were the same. So it really helped me. Nice. Thanks, Taraji. Just sort of um, sitting with that for a moment. Yeah, I really appreciate what you sort of found there was some principles that I think we are really trying to employ every time we teach, but then these certain settings really say, here's how much we can do this. Uh, the idea of really staying uh, 
detached from what we from where we want a posture to go or where we think a sequence should be going and constantly staying surrendered and feeling what needs to happen what wants to happen what what feels safe what feels productive and and keeping that at the forefront and constantly surrendering the like the the need for the mind to say like i you know like this now or uh to sort of rest in that um yeah i think those are principles that i know that are really at the center of uh when when we're teaching yoga those are definitely big big guiding principles and i think that what you're describing is sort of these moments when we really have to take that really seriously and we sort of see what's possible you know so that's that's a wonderful um sort of and I wouldn't, wouldn't call a metaphor. It was the way that the sutra really applies to our practice on, on the mat in this case, but it's obviously describing a bigger experience of just surrender. So thank you. Did I see any other hands for a share? Sure, property. thanks. And Bob, you can go after her. Thanks. Hi. So similarly i used it or did use it with my son um to really listen so when you're so fused with another being like your son <laughs> or someone that you're with a lot or have know so well it's so easy to just have these preconceived ideas about what you think they need and or what they are saying to you or what they really want you know because you know you're I'm his mother, I really know, but I don't. Um, and I know that when I really listen, I can really serve him and give him what he needs or um, treat him like an adult. It just helps with parenting in that mm. way. I don't know if that made sense, but. Yeah. So it, like there's this tendency to want it, it, let me make sure I got this. There's a good, there's like a tendency to, to think I, I know what this individual needs, but you have to keep surrendering that and really detaching from what you're seeing in order to see what might be really being said or yeah. Mm -hmm. Boy, that sounds like, like just listening practice, you know, I feel like I'm trying to do that, you know, all the time, like, like what Babaji says, like here, behind the words you know and and how baba does that with all of us like somebody will ask a question in satsang and sometimes you're like is baba answering is that the question that and you realize oh he's answering a question that the person maybe didn't even know how to ask but he could you know and so we see that there's these levels to that capacity so that's and i would imagine in a relationship as as deep as you know a, a family like that like a mother and a son that that capacity would be pretty deep like you could really listen very deeply so. yes <laughs> nice. bob go ahead okay sanchama i um i tried to take a nap earlier and uh, it didn't work out. I just wasn't sleepy. But as I was lying there, I was listening to my mind. And 
So I said to myself, okay, I'm going to just relax and listen to my mind. And at a certain point, there was some part of me that was watching me listening to my mind. So I wrote a haiku. All right. Nice. And I thank you for the reminder. I would love to hear people's haikus when they have them every week. But go ahead. I thank you for breaking the All ice. Right. <clears throat> Just watching my mind. Just watching my mind watching. Who is watching all? Yogi applause. The sound of one hand clapping, in case you're wondering. Thanks, Bob. Thank you so much. I love, I love that the phrase was the same, but then a little different. That really got me. Yeah, and it's interesting. I think they even talked about in the sutra that it takes time for this to unfold. You, you, it might have been two sutras ago when it just says, "In when you do this practice, and then in time, you will." And I think it went on to say, "Like transcend time," which I was like, "Wow, how funny that it said that." But it takes time. It's like you said. I, I, I sat with it. I, I use this practice. I let it unfold. And then the experience occurred and, you know, it's commonly overlooked that all of these, all of these concepts we're describing are, they require a, a space and a time and a little bit of commitment and um, for them to occur, which is the point of this first part of the segment. You know, this is, and, and you know, as we keep going in our philosophy program, it's like, I'll present something. There's always this initial sparks that fly and that's the conversation then. But then there's the whatever you do with it personally is a hundred times more powerful than anything we could ever do in like this shared setting because you're you can give it that space it needs for something to really occur for you. So thanks, Bob. I always feel that from your comments, the space that you really have committed to it. Prophecy, go for it. Sorry. So when you said that, it reminded me what I started doing with my son was. I was just silent for mm. even when we were both just sitting there silent for a very, very long time, just so I could really listen, even if he wasn't talking, because I filled the space a lot with my own voice. And I realized I wasn't, I, I don't know. It was like the only thing I knew what to do. So when you said space and time, give it time, give it space. Like that's exactly what I was doing, but in a really concrete way by just not talking and sitting with him and it was interesting so mm. thank you absolutely and that really is a nice segue to our next sutra which we'll, we'll give ourselves a little break in between them but the next sutra really does uh show us that um that we can use that space and time can either be the very things that help us grow like you're describing like that silence was the very thing you were using to help you grow and connect, or they could be the very things that distract us, you know, where we, where space and time almost use us. Um, and so uh, we see that a lot in the sutras and that that's what will be a little bit of a focal point in our next one. 
Well, thanks everyone for that discussion. Let's take a moment for some tension release just to sort of clear the slate and give ourselves an opportunity to, to discuss the next one. The uh, Go for it. If you're familiar with the practice, of course, dive right in. Otherwise, I'll guide a little bit. Fingertips are outstretched, hovering just above the floor. Shoulders relaxed down the back, long spine. And, and use your pranayama, use this very gentle pranayama to just focus the mind, breathing in three to five seconds or maybe a little bit longer. And then holding the breath in the heart as you just simply feel an expansion. There should be no gripping. It should just feel very natural. And then exhaling for the same length of time. And just continuing with that pranayama, sort of using each part of the breath to benefit you. And you can visualize pure prana flowing in through the third eye. And as you pause with the breath in the heart, it circulates, it clears out all the debris. And when you get to the exhale, it flushes that smoke or ash down the arms, out the fingertips and palms. Trying not to be too heavy handed with the practice, but really trying to feel the the inherent power of the breath. You don't have to overdo it. This is naturally occurring. We're just trying to tap into what's already happening. After your next exhale, you can wipe off the hands, flick out the fingertips, wipe off the arms. And we'll look at the Sanskrit of Sutra 3.43. And it is, sorry, it's incorrect at the top of the screen. Uh, it says 4 hours. It's 4.3. We're getting very, very close to the end. There's only two sutras after this. Two. It's like it's like we've been doing this for as long as people go to college, the Shiva Sutras, and we're in our last, this is our last weeks. Wow. All right. So 3.43. Naisargika prana sambanda. I broke it up a lot to help us pronounce it, but actually somehow makes it harder. Naisargika prana sambanda. This connection with breathing in and breathing out is their nature. So there's a couple of objectives in our work here tonight. One, I want this to be as simple as possible because I feel like the sutra has so much potential. If you keep it really simple, it could just be a huge boon to your practice. Um, for me, the suture boiled down to my asking myself one question throughout the day. Am I following my breath or am I following my thoughts? That's it. So right now you probably go, oh, right, my breath, right? You might be feeling your breath right now because I mentioned it. I know I am now. 
that I mentioned it. And I know it feels like you're juggling a lot when you have to listen and comprehend something while also feeling your breath. But like we just talked about, sometimes it's detaching from the thing you're trying to understand that helps you see it more clearly. Because in this sutra, um, there's something very powerful about our breath. And it says it in multiple ways throughout the sutra. Um, Radharani, do you want to read this one for us? Sure. Shiva is manifested first in the initial movement of that breath, which is only filled with life, prana maya. And then in breathing in and breathing out, prana, which in exhaling creates and destroys, creates, sorry, creates and in inhaling destroys. In reality, this breath is residing in the heart of beings. All right. Thank you, Radharani. I know that can seem a little bit like, um, I wouldn't say confusing. It's just, it's, it's not super, you know, obvious what's happening here, but We'll read another quote in a moment, but I don't, I don't want to just pile the quotes on. But Shiva is manifested first. The first manifestation of Shiva is in the movement of the breath. There is a breathless breath. We'll look at this quote in just a moment. That is like similar to like a baby in utero where it's not breathing, but it's alive. That's the very, very, very first way that Shiva is manifested in this potential energy that actually does reside in this reality. But then when that first breath occurs, and then for every subsequent breath, that is the first manifestation of Shiva in reality. So if you can feel your breath right now while, you're while I'm talking, while you're listening, while you're sitting, that's like the closest physical connection you can have to Shiva in our life. From my understanding of the sutra, and, and we'll, we'll read a little bit more so you can have, you know, your own glimpses. It does remind us here that this breath we're talking about is, is really residing in the heart though. You know, it's also this awareness in the heart that is there all the time that you know, Nityananda, the heart is the hub of all holy places. Go there and roam in it. Why the heart? You know, we'll only know when we when we arrive there. But so this awareness is 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 a hundred percent already in our heart. But it's also found in the pulsation of our breath. That Shiva literally lives in that space, or that is the first manifest. I mean, it's so it's such a gift to. To even be told that to actually revere your breath to that level it's pretty exciting so just to back that concept up we got one more quote vimy are you available for reading this one it's a little bit longer sure so it is well said in the present sutra naisargika pranams 
pranam sambandha, this connection to breath is Lord Shiva's natural way. And so as Patakalata has also explained this in his book, Tadvartha Chintamani, entering in breath, prana is the first change of God consciousness. This is the initial step towards manifestation. So although this yogi breathes in and out, just like an ordinary person, yet even in breathing, they are constantly aware of the supreme state of the internal being of consciousness. This yogi is exceptional. They are beyond the state of ordinary people. Thanks, Bimmy. the initial step towards manifestation. So the first step towards manifestation is your breath, the breath that you are breathing right now. Because to the yogic tradition, there manifestation isn't just uh, 37 billion years ago at the Big Bang. I just threw that number out. Don't quote me there. But it's happening constantly. It's uh, this abasa, this quality of spanda, uh, it's a constant pulsation that is creating and dissolving, creating and dissolving all of reality, creating and dissolving. And it says in the sutra, I didn't put it in our excerpts for this week, but if you read it on your own, you'll see it, um, that our breath is actually our direct link to understanding and to experiencing this concept of the universe being created and dissolved over and over again. But that's that's how we can we can witness that ourselves, but that it's also first step of manifestation the first one so it's like if we're able to feel our breath at any given moment we're we're really ascending towards shiva we're really being guided by shiva we're, we're actually like holding hands in that moment with our true nature And then we realize when we become distracted, which can be almost instantaneous, you know, um, that, yeah, then you're, you know, probably descending a little bit more towards all the rest of manifestation. But at any moment, you can just choose to reconnect with the first step of all of manifestation, your breath. So it's such an easy check-in, but because it's so easy, it's also quite challenging to sustain, as we all know, anyone who's put in the practice. So we'll finish with one last quote here, um, and feel free to always pipe in with a question or a comment whenever it is applicable for you. Um, but Yogita, are you available for one quote? Go ahead and unmute. Okay. Oh, you muted again accidentally. There you go. When a woman conceives a child in her room, that child is initially produced with pranayana. 
pronoun. In that child, there is no breathing. There is only life. This breathless breath is the breath of life. At the first movement of that energy, this supreme goddess is transformed into this kind of breath. And then that breath, Prayana is transferred is transformed into the second movement of the breath, which is breathing in and breathing out. Prana, this breath of life, Prana, is the seed of breathing in and breathing out. What is the difference between Prana and Pranana? Yeah, you had it. That was it's fun that you had like so many chances with that word. And by the third time you were like saying it, that was cool. Um, that's why we keep trying Sanskrit. Well, as far to my understanding, the for example, the example that was given that there is can be life force in something uh, before it, it sort of uh, enters into that pulsing realm of and that would be the, so, you know, the realm that that we're all in this realm of, of pulsation, but that there is a moment before that, this breathless breath moment when it's like you're almost pure potential energy and, um, and that that is a state, that is a step um, in the chain. Um, it's not one that we're I, uh, in consciously as much, you know, um, although we were in, we're in it, but uh, I think it's just sort of conceding that, that's a step. We don't really get a lot of time with that one. We're mostly in the other one, but but sort of just trying to give us a little bit of a breakdown is, is as far as I took it. Um, there might be deeper aspects to that, like maybe when we're in meditation and we experience that breathless breath state where I'm not breathing, but I'm not out of breath and what's happening. I've heard people ask Babaji about that numerous times, and I even think I saw a couple of nods when I mentioned it right there that that breathless breath state can find us again. So it's good for a yogi to know that that has a place and that that in itself would actually be an even, even closer experience of, of, of that true nature. But from what I've understood from most people who have asked that and how it's been expressed, it seems a bit of an act of grace that moment, you know, we're never supposed to like hold our breath. That doesn't get you there. Um, so that's my understanding of pranana, which is, we don't hear that one a lot, but it's cool to know that that's the word for it. Uh, I mean, kumbhaka is how you're going to hear it mostly referred to, and I'm, I'm assuming it's similar. Maybe there's subtle differences, but, but for us, you know, um, it's just a reiterating, trying to give us a little bit of context, and then finishing by saying uh, that this movement of the breath of breathing in and breathing out is, is just, you know, is the first manifestation. So any comments or questions? I do have one more quote from Babaji that sort of like brings it all into a more practical level, but I'm in no rush to get to it. Um, any comments or questions at this stage? Sure, Bob. Yeah, I just uh, was thinking about Baba's talk on Monday night, those who were able to hear that. He, he talked mm. a lot about not getting really physical with your breath, getting less and less uh, the person that is breathing and 
Um, I even heard Faith one time describe it as letting God breathe you. So uh, I think that's something we're thinking about in terms of uh, breath and yeah. yoga. Yeah, that would be the ideal interpretation, you know, um, to keeping it as simple as possible, that just the very act of breathing in and breathing out is all we're, we're searching for here, that there's we're, no one's saying to breathe into a certain count or out to a certain count. There's no holding of a breath. There's no description of, of any kind of breath, per se. There's just the awareness of breathing in and breathing out. And um, and that does sort of lead to this last quote from Babaji, not from this week, which was, it's true. This is literally, the timing couldn't be better. This is literally the focus of, of the whole Monday night satsang. But Jatila, could you read this last quote from Babaji here? Let me get to it. There you go. Think of the breath as a vehicle rather than a jackhammer. Often students use the breath too strongly. You will not be using the breath to cut the rock open. Instead, the breath is a vehicle that you are riding on and you are consciously feeling it move through the chakras or at least to experience where they are. The breath is like a massage. When students are able to be open and simple with their breath, they realize that watching the breath is not the same as trying to control it the pranayama within the breath is simply flowing with the breath. Thanks, Atila. So the subtlest pranayama, the pranayama that is really within the act of breathing itself is simply being able to flow with the breath. Any final comments or questions before we meditate? All right. Well, we're, oh, did I see an unmute down there? Okay. Go for it, Annapurna. Yeah. Um, this is just a random thought. I, because I study acupuncture and a lot of the texts are really cryptic. And so I kind of get used to being like, are they talking about this? Or are they actually talking about the other thing? And just coding it, you know? So I'm sure there are much deeper layers, but when it talks about the breath is in the heart, my thought was like, are they saying the word breath, but really they mean heartbeat, you know? And it's like, there's these other part, there's other things going on in your body, which mm -hmm. are also pulsating you know mm -hmm. that's really interesting yeah i did not did not even occur to me so back to the last part of this quote here in reality this breath is residing in the heart of beings yeah this pulsation just you know um can be felt the heartbeat is you know just as much a focal point as the breath it might not be described in this text but i know in a lot of modern day practices watching your own heartbeat is, is actually a really helpful focal point for meditation and any, especially for anyone who's beginning meditation. Yeah, for me, I was looking almost like how in the Guru Gita, how it, it says over and over again, like how 
the supreme guru is residing in the heart how it's like it describes all these different practices and they're like without the guru they're all they all fall short and i just almost feel like without this it's like without this internal awareness without this heart-centered awareness like all of our activities fall short you know and and i for me i was interpreting it as we might be talking about inhaling and exhaling here but there's something even more fundamental you know this shambhava upaya level of just heart awareness like just you're there you're just there your focal point your fulcrum you know and you allow these practices it's almost like you reach for the practices from that point instead of feeling like the, that practices the whole thing that's that's how i interpreted it but that's why we're going to do this for a week and and play with it and see if the heartbeat works for you yeah i also like then as i was thinking about it more i was like well the heartbeat is still really really physical and i'm sure what they're talking about is like much more subtle than right. a, a physical process you know right yeah, I mean, even the breath is really physical. It's so interesting. What's really uh, fascinating about the, you know, when I say Shiva is manifested first in the breath, when I quote the text, the text is saying that. I mean, it's it, it makes it appear like, oh my gosh, you're 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 so close. But as we see when we watch the breath, where's the breath? Is it the inhales, is it the exhales, at the beginning, the middle, the end? You know, you're like, oh, I see. That's how this could be Shiva because this is like, it's like trying to get the ocean in a cup. You know, it's like you have to dissolve your cup to actually experience the ocean. So, so let's go after it. Let's um, adjust your seat, um, prepare for meditation. The physical container of the breath is your seat, your asana. Ideally, you feel uh, a buoyancy to your seat. Ideally, there is a sort of a, a lightness to the spine, a self-supporting internal levity, a connection point to the ground, but then arising up very naturally through the crown. The slightest tuck in the chin can help have that little millimeter of lengthening through the spine swallowing and allowing the tongue to naturally suction towards the roof of the mouth and allowing yourself to breathe even more freely through the nose. 
And meditation can always be as simple as just sitting still without fighting it. Just observing the physical body and space and, and noticing your experience of stillness. And trying to relax into stillness as much as possible. You can try the slight smile practice and that can really lighten up stillness, reminding us that stillness is a time where we build up energy, where we accumulate, where we actually grow in stillness. When that seat of the body is is safe and supportive and still, it's very natural to allow your awareness to find that center point in the heart, to sit. Your, your awareness just sinks down and sits in the heart a lot easier. And of course, sometimes you have to move and you do that with as much awareness as you can too. And then when you settle down, your awareness can sink back down. And just be in no hurry. You can use the so hum mantra where you silently repeat the mantra so as you exhale and hum as you inhale. As the sutra describes it, in the exhale, there's the creative force, and in the inhale, there's the dissolving force. Sometimes that's backwards of what our minds might assume. The exhale creates, the inhale dissolves. The creation we seek is, is the heart, is to create, to expand the space of the heart with each, with each exhale. And to dissolve the thought constructs of the mind with each inhale. 
whatever effort you find yourself using, acknowledge it, observe it, and then try to use a third less effort. Try to use a, a noticeable, noticeably less effort when you breathe. This might make your breath a little softer. And come back to these principles of your mantra of the feeling of expanding in the heart as you exhale and really dissolving the external world and the thoughts of it with your inhale. Let a small majority of your awareness reside in the exhale, ensuring that the exhale is allowed a natural amount of time to finish itself. And then notice how the inhale naturally flows in after the exhale has had its time. You don't have to push it out, just give it the space it needs. And let yourself experiment with this experience. of really surrendering quite deeply into the breath as a flow, as Babaji puts it.
This is the first manifestation of Shiva. Where is Shiva in this experience? Where is your heart in this experience? Let the flow of your breath connect you to your heart, to your true nature, to the form of you that is more you than your name or your personality. And for our last minute or two together, allow your eyes to open a little. And just try to feel your breath flow in a really easygoing way. 98% of your day, when you're connecting with your breath, it's going to be like this. Just feeling the in and the out. Just let yourself see the room you're in and and just sort of make a mental anchor that at any point in the, your day for the next week, just checking in, can I feel my breath right now? And know that like that's a pretty big deal. And then if you can feel your breath, I mean, if you're, you're basically in touch on some level with your true nature. And that sometimes just, just keeping that sort of just that little hand on the shoulder of your practice, just sort of letting it guide you 
you know, let's see how that goes. So namaste, everyone. Thank you all so much for your time and your focus. Have a great weekend, I guess, is coming up. Um, oh, and a little plug. Um, we do have the intensive, and so you you would never believe how soon it is. It's this week. It's not this weekend. It's not. In, it could be, though. Two weeks from now, I'm going to say, it's this weekend. And you're going to be like, huh. Um, so let's uh, go ahead and just sign up. Uh, create the container and go ahead and commit. And that way, your karma can start to accelerate a little bit now so that you're coming into that intensive with that churning mechanism and and you're ready so i know it always seems like oh i'll get to that but um go for it uh let babaji and faith sort of hear that people are signing up and they're excited oh and last plug i know it's late i'm a minute over um so uh we do have uh meditation level two training coming up with a little bit of a focal point on santosha contentment um, it has always been a little part of the training, but we're making a bigger part of the training because Babaji has expressed so much um, interest in, in, in us really paying attention to people cultivating this, this quiet, peaceful nature and not always sort of like, you know, working on themselves and, and sort of like, you know, going after their practice. Like, so let's all, if you have the time, it's a once a week class and it's going to really be a time to shower yourself with surrender as the write-up says. So let us know if you're interested in that. It starts in just a couple weeks and it runs on Sundays, afternoons, and um, Boulder time. So anyway, thank you for the extra two minutes.